0: Amen. So good to see each and every one of you here today. If you love Jesus, say amen. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. You should have received a copy of the message notes when you came in this morning. Man, I tell you what, our graphics people are doing an awesome job. That is beautiful. That's just almost good enough to be a book cover right there. Uh, Matter of fact, it is the book cover for The Traveler's Gift. Uh, If you are going to be a part of this and you'd like to, this is what we do every fall. We have what we call a kind of a unified Campaign with our life groups. Everybody does the same book. Uh, all the life groups are meeting different times, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in Marion and West Memphis. And so we want you to be a part of that because there's some great things happening. Uh, nothing like getting in the spirit together in a spirit of unity and participating. In the spring, we do it a little bit differently. We have what we call a magazine format, and we have parenting and finance and marriage and family and you know just different kinds of things life groups that are devoted to specific topics biblically and and needs that help uh, areas that help meet needs that are in your actual life and so in the spring it's it's varied and it's assorted but in the fall we always do one together so we're very excited about this and if you really want to be able to track with us the messages that I'm preaching on Sunday morning are from the Word, obviously, because we're a Word-centered church. We believe that it's all about the gospel. The gospel impacts every area of our lives. Uh, but you're going to get something that is really in a great addition to that. If you'll notice on the left side of your notes, we have some uh, life, discussion, life group discussion questions that you'll have a chance to look at and read before uh, you actually show up for your life group. And there'll be some questions there that help connect What's going on in the chapters of this book and that are, what are what's being preached on Sunday morning. So there's, there are two or three different ways that this is going to speak to you and we're trusting God to do some absolutely phenomenal things in the lives of the people here at Victory. This is an amazing opportunity for you to reach out to your unchurched friends because uh, we, we, we just want to bring as many folks in as we possibly can and help them see how amazing God's love is for each and every one of us. Can I have an amen? Would you put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning? God, we just praise you. We magnify you in this place. I want you, if you would, let's go ahead and stand and take care of reading together our text. It's two verses of scripture found in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Find a screen in the house that's comfortable for you to see, and I want you to read it out loud together with me. Come on, very heartily, let's do it together. Here we go. Jabez was a better man than his brothers, a man of honor. His mother had named him Jabez. Oh, the pain, saying, a painful birth. I bore him in great pain. Jabez prayed to the God of Israel, Bless me, oh, bless me. Give me land, large tracts of land, and provide your personal protection. Don't let evil hurt me. God gave him what he asked. Bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer this morning. Gracious God. We just come before you acknowledging you are God and we are not. You are creator, we are creation. You are savior. And Lord, we just thank you that we now can call ourselves the saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room that has that confidence. We celebrate that together. God, as we open our hearts today, we just say to you that you're the only teacher I acknowledge before you and this people that I can't do anything apart from you. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear. Help us to understand and perceive the amazing things that are in the word of God. Thank you, Lord. Marvelous things are in your law. As we do this today, we'll be very careful to give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor and all of God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated together in the presence of the Lord. If you picked up your book last week and began reading, you've probably thought, what is this? You're wondering, you know, this is just not the typical Bible study. And I'll be honest with you, we did that on purpose. I read this book two years ago, and it really impacted me. It's it's not just a typical self help motivational book. Andy Andrews is a Christian man, loves Jesus with all of his heart. It's a great motivational speaker who has impacted people, not only in the U.S., but around the world. And this book has been a bestseller for a number of years. It tells the story of, about a guy by the name of David Ponder. Not unlike you. He's going through a very difficult time in his life. The current circumstances of the economy have affected his corporate job, at which he's worked for about 15 years, giving himself fully to it. He'd made the decision to stay there After he knew that they were already going through a downsizing, and two years later, it brings him to the place where he's involved, and what he thinks is the victim of a corporate takeover by a multinational corporation. They rallied the troops, they called folks, they tried to stir up the various investors and get an injection of capital at the last minute, and at the midnight hour, they found out that it didn't work. And David, after 15 years, was losing his job, And he was in a place of despair. Once he was a very significant leader in this corporation and now he's being asked to turn over the keys to his car and the keys to the corporate gym. He's being escorted to the front gate of the corporation that he's literally given his life and his time and his talent to for 15 years. And he's standing on the street waiting for a cab to pick him up because he doesn't even have a car to get home. It's midnight. It's the day of his daughter's birthday She's a young girl, and he goes to her bedroom as he comes home, drowning in the despair of hopelessness because he's 46 years old and he knows that nobody in corporate America is looking to find and hire a 46 year old person. His hope is gone. He's at a place of despair that's gripping his soul in a depth of depression. It's already begun to reach its tentacles around his very soul. He's desperate. He's sitting in his daughter's bedroom and he's crying tears and fighting them back. And his, his wife looks in, honey, are you okay? No, I'm not. And he reveals to his wife the story of, being, of losing his job that day. And like any good wife would, he, she said, baby, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. And he just said, I don't know. I don't know this time. I've given myself to this for 15 years and what do I have to show for it? We've made decisions thinking that we were on the right track and our credit cards are maxed. Your car's not paid for and I don't even have one because I drove a company car and they took it away. I mean he's painting a pretty bleak picture. The story continues to unfold and it advances six months later and he's working for a minimum wage dead-end job loading the truck for a hardware store that's owned by a miserly old man who doesn't put up with any flack. David's been at it for a Number of weeks working in this position, just barely making a go of it. His wife is working as well, and she calls that day. He's called in off of the loading of the truck, off the loading dock, and the owner is aggravated. What did I tell you about employees being on the phone here? And he comes in to receive the phone call, and his wife is frantic. She's been to the doctor. Their little girl has to have a tonsillectomy. Doesn't sound like a big deal to you or me, but David didn't have any insurance and he didn't have any money. The credit cards were maxed out. He's driving an old clunker that somebody loaned him $500 to be able to buy this thing just to get him to work. He's at the bottom. How can it possibly get any worse? Only to find out that he's about to be looking up through the bottom because his wife says, We have to have this surgery. He says, I don't, Where are we going to get it? She says, Well, we can put it on a credit card. Honey, our credit cards are maxed out. Well, we can borrow the money. No bank will look at us. She starts crying. David, what are we going to do? I don't know. She says, David, this is our baby. He's fighting back tears. And the old man who owns the hardware store is telling him, Get off the phone. Get off the phone. Get off the phone. And he's trying to motion to him. Hang on, hang on, hang on. And he hangs up the phone. And a sea of depression washes over him. And the old man said, Ponder, I've told you. Come back Friday, I'll have your check ready for you. You're fired. And he gets kicked in the gut in a place of desperation and loses another job. And his daughter has to have an $1,100 surgery. But that's outrageous to somebody who has no insurance and has no credit left on their cards and has no emergency fund and no bank account and no other family member to, to borrow from. All of that has been exhausted David's in a place of desperation and he gets in his car and it's a cold December night and he heads on the 40-mile drive back home and he's gripping the steering wheel and he's crying tears and he's wiping them away and he's going god what's up with this i have lived for you i have given you my life i i, pay, I laid down my life for this company and they just threw me out to the pasture i'm doing all i can working this Dead end job and I take a call from my wife that my baby is sick and the dude fires me. Why me? And he's not driving 70 anymore. He's doing 80 and he's driving 90 and this old clunker is holding together. And he's just in that moment of desperation where he starts to think, really, what does it matter? I do have a little bit of life insurance left. What if I can just go on and my beautiful wife that I love with all of my heart can just collect the insurance and pay off a few bills And raise our daughter. And he's desperate. He's at a place where he doesn't know what to do. And a patch of ice is approaching and he doesn't see it and it's on a bridge. The next thing he knows, he hits that ice at 90 miles an hour and he careens into a tree. And he wakes up in a strange place. He thinks he wakes up. He's traveled in time back to 1945 and he's sitting in Potsdam, Germany where the leaders... Of the Allied powers are gathering and talking about dropping the atomic bomb on Japan. He's sitting and talking to a friendly looking old man who just basically says, I knew you were coming. Be quiet. Sit down over there. And David says, Am I okay? He says, I told you, be quiet. After looking at the circumstances and someone knocks on the door and says, President, are you all right? David realizes he's sitting in the presence of Harry Truman. How can this be? Am I dead? President Truman says to him, no, you're not dead, David. I don't know whether you're okay or not, but you're not dead. You're still alive. I knew you were coming. How can this be? President Truman says, well, obviously the Almighty loved you so much that he brought you this way so that you could learn something from me in the next few moments. He'd been known in history as give them hell, Harry. President Truman never liked that because he never gave anybody any hell. He just responded by saying, you know, I don't know why they call me that. I just tell the truth and they think that's hell. How many of you know the reality of what I just said? Sometimes the truth. It may make you free, but before it does, it may make you miserable. (laughs) David's sitting there in the room, and the next few moments unfold. David realizes that he's traveled back in time. Obviously, this is a book of historical fiction, but there's so much that you can glean from this in seven lessons that can determine whether or not you're going to be successful or fruitful in your life, in the kingdom of God, in your marriage, in your home, in your business, in your family, in anything that you step out to do. You must recognize, and the lesson that he learned today, was the one that was carved and set on the front of the desk of the president who made the fateful decision to drop two atomic bombs on Japan, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. He is... He is, he is reviled by some in history. He is celebrated by others in history because President Truman knew that it was going to take over a quarter of a million men who would have to go into Japan and literally take it one house at a time. And it would be such an outrageous cost in American lives, numbers of which that had already been given on two different theaters of the Second World War. And he was about to sign it and to order and he looks at David and he says, no, 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 no don't tell me. Don't say it. The I, I, last thing I know, the last thing I need is the pressure of somebody telling me what I've already done. President Truman literally is in that moment in his life. David is looking back, knowing from the vantage point of history what Truman does, but he's sitting there and he says, listen to me, this is something you have to realize, David. Everything that has happened in your life is because you have made a choice. You chose to go to a certain college. You chose to to, to study a certain subject. You took this job. You stayed there for 15 years. You decided to stay on even at year 12 and 13 when you knew that the company was in a bad place. You really can't blame these circumstances on anybody other than yourself. But David wouldn't hear it. No, 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 I'm a victim. I didn't choose any of this. So the rest of the story begins to unfold. Pause. Now let's jump over to the Bible. Let's look and see this guy by the name of Jabez that we find in First Chronicles chapter 4. Jabez is a young man that the Bible says he was more honorable than all of his brothers. What is it that set him apart? What is it that made him so distinctive among the men that were born in the family that it would be recorded in the eternal annals of the record of the inspired word of God? This is what it was, point number one. As you look at this in your message notes this morning, da 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 da, point, there it is, point number one. (laughs) I was waiting on it to appear. Read it with me, here we go. God deals with a man based on his destiny and not his history. Did you hear what I just said? God deals with a man based on his destiny. And not his history. God is not nearly so interested in where you have been as he is and where he intends to take you. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? God is not nearly so concerned with the stuff that's in your life that you have done because he's already made provision to deal with that. He's more interested in what he intends for you to do in your future. It is not your past, but it's your future that God is moving in your life and dealing with you about god deals with you based upon your destiny and not your history too many times every one of us in this room are held back in places of limitation because i just want to be the first in line to tell you everybody in the room has a past i have a past you have a past We all have things in the history of our lives that we would really rather that everyone wasn't privy to. How many of you thankful that God's not still recording biblical history so that the generation after you can read about your fill in your blank. But thank God he did take the time to give us not only the triumphs but the tragedies, not just the the, the victories but also the failures, the wins and the losses of some very significant yet very ordinary people just like me and you who lived their lives and changed history. But the amazing thing is they didn't know they were changing history when they were living in the middle of it. Oh my gosh, you and I both have the ability to be history changers just like David and just like Ruth. And just like Abraham and just like Isaac and come on, somebody this morning, just like the disciples who came along with with Jesus and were the biggest motley crew of a bunch of irregular, some of them deadbeats, a couple of them some losers. And Jesus saw something worth redeeming, and he reached down into them and he said, your past doesn't determine your future and I'm dealing with you based on your destiny and not your history. Where you're headed and not where you've been. Jabez was a man who was more honorable than his brothers. Number two, Jabez's own identity is tied to his past. Yet he chooses to not let his past determine his future. Now, I, I just I'll just be honest with you. I cannot even imagine, I, I don't understand a mama. I know I'm a man. I know I don't know even the first thing about birth and no babies. Seems like that's a line in a movie from somewhere. I don't know what it is anyway, oh, I know it's going with the wind. I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. Um I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from uh. I know that I don't experience that and I know that I don't have anything to rely on to connect me to the possibility of experiencing the amount of anguish that sometimes women go through and just bringing a life into the world. But this mama was so impacted by a bad birth experience that she got up from it and said, call his name Jabez. Pain. Every time his name is called And mama rings the dinner bell. Painful one, where are (laughs) you? I don't know if his middle name was aggravation, but pain, come here. (laughs) Jabez. Can you imagine your identity being tied to an event that took place before you really ever opened your eyes and took your first breath on the planet? If anybody could be a victim... If anybody could say, I didn't choose this. If anybody could say, it ain't my fault, it would be Jabez. But Jabez was more honorable than all of his brothers. And he was determined that he was not going to allow his past to determine his future. His destiny was not tied up with the identification of his history. It called me pain my whole life. I came into the world bearing pain. I came into the world creating pain. I've created pain for everybody that I've ever run into. I mean, can you imagine the teenage crisis this kid went through when he starts questioning himself like every teenager on the planet ever does? And he realizes that he's not with the in crowd down at the junior high school. And every time they call him, they're calling him pain. Come on, every one of you know what it was to be ridiculed at different times in your lives. In elementary school, junior high, high school, I cannot imagine the pain that is going on in this boy whose name is pain. This is like a Lifetime Movie Network script. It is ready to roll. Get the popcorn, sit down. We're going to see how this kid can destroy his life. But you know what? Jabez got up one day and he said, you know what? My family has written this script for me, but I, I'm not going to play this part no more. I'm making a choice. I, I'm not going to play the role. I'm not going to be the pain-filled, painful one any longer. And he, he made a choice. He cried out to God. Somebody in this room this morning needs to hear what I just said. Your life could be described, it could be adjective, it could be modified by the adjective Jabez. Your life is Jabezly because of struggles that you're facing, because of circumstances that you may think you didn't choose. But Jabez basically says, I'm not gonna live like this any longer. I choose to not live by this script. These are no longer my lines. God bless me. Bless me, oh God. In the middle of all of this junk and stuff that's been put on me that I didn't choose, I now choose to look to you to enlarge my territory. Lord, uh, extend my borders. God, enlarge my coast, the King James says. I love this translation. This paraphrase rather from the message, it says, give me large tracts of land. In other words, he's basically saying, God, open the doors and give me some wide open territory. I'm tired of living in the limitation of how I've been thinking about my life. Broaden my horizons. Give me something new to step out into. Let me see with fresh eyes of faith. Give me large tracts of land. I don't think he was just praying for geography. I, was, I think he was saying, God, open some doors that's going to shock the fire out of everybody around me. who, Their whole life said he will never amount to anything. But because God, because God, my trust is not in my ability or my painful background or my painful upbringing. My trust is in you and I declare, oh God, that you will bless me. And guess what the Bible says? God did what he asked. I love it. You are not hopeless this morning because you're sitting here in the room and you're hearing about a God who is absolutely, indescribably crazy about every one of you in this room. Jeremiah 29, 11, my thoughts toward you, says the Lord, are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I am coming this morning And I've got a hypodermic needle with a needle this long, and I'm going to inject some hope down into the very core of your soul today. Be still and take it. Hear the word of the Lord in this place today. Number three. Are you getting anything out of this? I'm preaching to myself right now. You just get a chance to hear it. Because I need God to move in some areas in my life. There is a small difference between a victim and a victor. Listen carefully or you won't even hear it. Victim. Say it with me. Victim. Victor. Say it again. Come on. Victim. Victor. It's tied up in each person's individual response. It's amazing to me after pastoring 20 plus years and I see people go through, it's just almost like, Round 3, round 17, round 48. And I see people go through the same kinds of circumstances, same difficult seasons in their lives, and one person loses a job and gets bad news, and the health report is not looking good, and it's going to take God to do a miracle. And one person receives all of that, and somehow they take it and they process it, and on the other side of it, they become bitter. He is a victim. And then there's this other person over here who can go through the exact same set of circumstances and somehow she has the ability to process this thing and she comes out of it on the other side and she makes some choices to look at it differently and she sees that God is, has his hand of blessing in spite of the circumstances that she is going through and she comes out better because she is a victor. What is the difference between these two different people. So much of life to the victor is about perspective. In every problem, there are rich opportunities for growth. There are new challenges that stretch me and cause me to grow. And these prepare me for the doors that are going to open for me if I just remain faithful and guard my heart and keep a good attitude. Those are the words of a victor talking there. So much of life to the victim is about perspective. It's the same thing. It's just how you're looking at your circumstances. and every problem, there are deficiencies that are revealed. There are challenges that are too big for me But because people have held me back my whole life and told me that I would never be anything but a pain. I can never realize any success because life isn't fair and people are mean. And the man is holding me back. It's because these people around me won't allow it. There's something very different between... The perspective of the victim and the perspective of the victor. And it's all tied up in the response and the choice that both of them make. Sometimes things happen that I didn't choose. But I still have a choice in how I will respond. <laughs> Number four. Since the Garden of Eden, man has played the blame game. God sets man and woman. Adam. Adam. Male and female, he makes them and he sets them down in an absolutely perfect environment where everything that they will ever need and they can ever even begin to imagine of any kind of need has already been provided for there and satisfied in the garden itself. And in slithers the serpent. Hebrew word for serpent is whisperer. Everybody say whisperer. You know what? His modus operandi hasn't changed today. He's using the same tricks that he used millennia ago to lure Adam and Eve away from their obedience and their trust in a God who was benevolent and poured out his blessing in every kind of way imaginable and who had said, everything in this whole garden is yours. There is just one thing that I reserve. It's mine. Don't touch it. This one tree. So here comes the whisperer, the whisperer who challenges their identity, who questions Did God really say that? You know what? He he slithers up into your garden and to mine regularly. He challenges what you're reaching out in faith to trust in the promise of a good God. To stand in the place of difficult circumstances. And he's trying to distract you. He's trying to discredit, to, to steal and rob and kill and destroy your trust in an almighty God that you're reaching up with all of your heart to trust. His, his same tactics are no different today. He looks at Eve and she sees that the fruit is pleasant to the eyes. It's good for food. It tastes good. And it's good to make one wise. 1 John 2 says the enemy uses three tricks. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The lust of the, li- the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Let me get it one more time. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Got it right that time. Lust of the flesh is... She's hungry and she wants it. Lust of the eyes, it was a good-looking piece of fruit. She desired it, pride of life. It was good to make one wise. The enemy has no new tricks up his sleeve. He tempts us with the girls and the gold and the glory. Or maybe it's the guys and the gold and the glory. Dr. Adrian Rogers said it this way years ago. It's passion. It's possessions and its position, the passions of life that draw me, the possessions and the desire to have all the stuff, to win the prize of who dies with the most stuff, and then to be able to say that I have lived my life and I have been famous and I have been influential, the position that we can acquire from getting the girls and the gold, the passion and the possession. And so Adam and Eve are tempted with that, and somehow, you know what happens? They are, their eyes are opened, and they hear God walking in the garden. Somehow, I don't know how it's happened, but over the centuries, we've gotten the idea that Adam was busy at work. He was punching the time clock. He was back over there on the back 40, the back acreage of the garden, shaking some trees, trying to figure out how to design a plow, praying for John Deere to get revealed. (laughs) He's shaking some trees. He's an entrepreneur. And everybody thinks he's back over here, way back. And Eve is over there just being lured subtly by the whisperer. But actually, if you read your Bible in Genesis chapter 3, it says that when the serpent was beguiling Eve, when he was luring her, and she took of the fruit and ate it, and the scripture says, and she gave it to her husband who was With her. You know, we can't legitimately blame this whole thing and the state of the planet and sin and all this stuff on Eve any longer because we really have to blame it on a man who didn't open his mouth. He just stood there and complacently let it happen without saying, wait a minute, God told us. And honey, don't be lured into this temptation by this lying snake. Let me go get my hoe. I'm going to cut the head off of this lion serpent which is what he should have done baby honey don't listen to that let me remind you what God said and how God good is and look at all of these things that God has given to us and this is the only one that God said this is mine let's remember that all these millions of trees and this exotic fruit and every opportunity that we can possibly even begin to ask or imagine is out here and it's ours but she picked the fruit took a bite and handed it to her husband and he ate it because he was with her he was compliant In that moment, their eyes were open, they realized they were naked, and they start grabbing for fig leaves. Now, I don't know about you, but I never have seen a fig leaf big enough and strong enough that it can be sewn together to cover up the necessaries. <laughs> I'm not trying to be offensive or crass here, but you know, I mean, we've got some things that we, we, we modestly cover. And, you know, I, I love the story because it said they sewed aprons. Well, I don't know about you, but I remember Granny's apron. They won't know back to it. You just better not turn around. That's North Carolina coming out right there. They won't know. They won't know back to it. <laughs> Adam, where are you? He and Eve are over there, and the bushes are shaking because they're trembling. They're afraid, and they've hidden themselves. Adam, where are you? They look out over the top of the mulberry bush. God says, come here. Yes, Lord. What are you doing over there hiding? And what are these fig leaves on you? Well, we were naked and we were scared. We hid ourselves. And God asked him one question, who told you you were naked? Well, the serpent came and and Eve ate, and I took of it, and then that's the end of the whole story, right there. And so Adam turns and he looks and he says, "God, you know, it's this woman you gave me." Eve says, "Oh, no, 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 no! Just hang on just a minute here. It's that serpent right there. And the blame is shifted, and the blame goes on, and it's not my fault." And Harry Truman looked at David Ponder and he said, the buck stops here. Somewhere in your life, you have to make the decision, David, that you are not going to just let life happen to you, but you're going to aggressively respond and make decisions that can determine the rest of Of your life. Yes, this happened to you, and you might not have chosen uh, an aggressive takeover by a multinational company, but you have the choice to respond. And how you respond and the perspective through which you look at the rest of your life is going to determine whether the end of it is successful or not. Are you hearing me? We can't keep passing the blame. Number five, spiritual maturity means taking personal responsibility. I have to take hold of the recognition of my life. And let me just say to you right now as I bring this message to a close, this sin issue is bigger than all of us. None of us has the ability to deal with it in our own strength. You cannot be good enough. You were born in pain. You were born in sin. You were born in rebellion. I was born disobedient. You know, I just couldn't believe it when my... My my wonderful son, who he, he grew up in my home, and I caught him the first time. He told a lie, and I went, who told you how to do that? It's just inborn. There's just sin in all of us. We have to teach them not to do the wrong. We have to teach them how to do the right. Because we will always cover ourselves. We will always sow fig leaves to cover when we know that we're in trouble. Taking responsibility means recognizing this whole sin question is bigger than I am. I must have a Jabez moment. I was born in pain. I was born in sin. God, take my life. I turn it over to you. I turn from my past. It will no longer dictate my future. My history will not affect my destiny. Listen to me. You cannot break your addiction this morning, sitting here in this room, until you're willing to break your denial. That you have one. The rest of your family knows it. They're broken because of it. Because of your abuse of alcohol. Because of your abuse of pills. Because of your inability to maintain a real relationship and sex or pornography or any other number of things. That the enemy slithers into your garden and whispers you and draws you away from your first love. Being your wife, your children, your job, your God first of any of them. And lures you to disobey, lures you to sin. Sin is is the ultimate act of high treason to a God who is good and who has provided everything for us. People are sitting in this room this morning and you are currently in a circular pattern of failure. Because you've never yet been able to just come to grips with it and say, you know what, I have this problem. You have to break denial first before you can break the addiction. Taking responsibility doesn't mean that you pull yourselves up by your rugged individualistic bootstraps and you grit your teeth and you white knuckle it because you were so strong. Taking responsibility means you realize this thing is the serpent in the garden has become a dragon in this revelation of my life at this place and I need some brothers and sisters that are going to come alongside me who are dragon slayers, who can take the sword of the spirit and cut the head off of this dragon in my life and I can get set free and delivered in Christ. Everybody else knows your struggle. Can you own up to it? Can you take personal responsibility and say, you know what, my life has been jabez, it's been pain, but God, I'm crying out to you to bless me. Turn this thing around. Number six, you are where you are because of your thinking. You are where you are because of your thinking. Your thinking dictates your decisions, and your decisions are choices. Too many times we look at circumstances in which we are in and we discount them. We don't realize that we have the, the perspective of a victim and not a victor. Our son Drew graduated May at A-State with an international, de- de- a business, international I'm sorry, a degree in international business. I'm gonna get it out. He spent a semester in Spain. He studied Spanish in high school and four and a half years in college. Went to Spain for a semester. Did an internship in Ecuador, and he learned the classical Spanish language, could speak it very well. And he comes home, and he graduates, and he moves back in with us. It's always difficult when you've experienced independence personally, and you come back. And we just basically said, Drew and I had a couple of father-son moments, some great times together. We had a couple of challenges. Basically said, you know what? You're grown. You don't have to ask me if you can stay out or you can stay over with a friend, wherever. Just be courteous and send me a text and let me know that you're not going to be coming in, you, you, you're, you're over to buddy's house, you're playing PS2, or you guys go to a concert or whatever you're going to do and you're going to stay with the night with a friend, that's great. That's, you don't have to ask, just let me know. Don't make me be up at four wondering, oh God, is he okay? Every parent in the room knows what I'm talking about. Well, dad, you didn't do that when I was in Jonesboro and stayed out all night. I said, no, I'd just lay in the bed and go, God, I don't know where he is. Will you please cover and protect him? If he acts like a fool, please, Jesus, don't let him be one. So he comes back here and he gets, for a season, a very difficult time. He's working what he thinks is a dead-end job and he works at a nursery and he's, he's only making about nine seventy five, maybe 10 bucks an hour. And, and you know, when, you, when you're a college kid and you think, hey, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to make, comma, zero, 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 however much you think you're going to make. And you come back to your hometown, which you always say you're never coming back to, and you're back to your front bedroom, which you think, oh, God, I'll never go back to. <laughs> and then you get a job where you're digging post holes and you're mowing grass And you know what? He was down there with a couple of immigrant Mexicans. And he didn't appreciate that at first. Not that he's racist, because he became great friends with these guys. He came home one day and he said, you know what, Dad, it's so amazing to me. These guys don't have anything, and they are so happy. And you know, he said, I'm going to just say this to you. For all these people who get up on their political soap boxes all the time and 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 say well they're taking all our jobs he said i'll be honest with you ain't nobody out there lining up to do what these guys are willing to do 10 hours a day <laughs> it's hard work it was 105 degrees i'm cutting grass and i'm como esta usted and i'm t- talking all this stuff with these guys because they don't speak english and the boss doesn't speak spanish and he hired me because i can and he's he's cursing himself. He's just thinking I'm never going to get out of here how awful this is. I mean, he's singing he's singing the Jabez blues. <laughs> oh, oh! Oh, dad, I hate this job. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he works it not one month, two months, he works it 3 months and guess what? He's in Fayetteville now and he's gone through a month of training and he called me recently. He said, "You know what, dad?" He said I didn't realize it, but I'd been training in classical Spanish. And he said, what you learn in the classroom is no way near what these folk talk. There's a whole degree of slang Spanish, Mexicano, whatever, that they speak that I could have never learned if I hadn't spent that three months getting friends with Pedro and cutting grass and laughing and riding around and slinging mulch. And, and working in 105 degree heat and complaining about it the whole time. And I said, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that you think that God actually used that to prepare you for where you are right now? He said, Dad, I could have never passed the interview because they conducted 20 minutes in Spanish. And it wasn't just classroom parsing of verbs and in the proper way. It was a guy who talked to me in Spanish slang. And if I hadn't spent the summer trying to... Okay, Pedro, what does that mean? Que pasa, whatever. I mean, if he hadn't spent the whole summer asking questions and learning all of this stuff, he said, Dad, I went in there and I breezed through it. He said, and I said, so you really think that maybe God had a hand in giving you that to prepare you for this door that was about to open? See, folks, it's all about perspective. But many times when you're up in the middle of that 105 degree heat and you're losing a pound every day. Are you with me? When you're in the middle of the lesson and you're thinking, God, I hate this thing. There's a curse on me. And you don't even know that God has so many great things in store for you. But you just need a little three-month hiatus where you learn how to put some stuff together and speak. He said, if I hadn't had that, I would have never gotten in there and been able to pass the interview and gotten this job. I said, you mean to tell me you think God's hand with this? He said, well, I'm trying to tell you, but you won't be quite long enough for me to say it. (laughs) Spiritual maturity is about taking responsibilities. You are where you are because of your thinking. Your thinking dictates your decisions, decisions, are choices. I ask you to make a decision today. Every one of us are born. We're called Jabez. We're born in sin. We're born in pain. We're born in rebellion. I was born to be disobedient because of the sin that got passed to me from my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam. It's been passed down in the bloodline. But God made a way for me so that my life didn't have to be Jabez. My iniquities have separated me from God. And Isaiah 59 says... My ear is not heavy that it cannot hear, and my hand is not shortened that it cannot save. And so with the ear of God, he hears the cry of humanity, and with the hand of God, he sends his son, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the substitute, the one who was godly, who died for all of us, ungodly, Jabezes. This morning, I would ask you, are you ready to make a very critical decision? David ponders lesson that he learned from Harry Truman. is he said, I will not let my history control my destiny. Everyone in this room has a history of sin. We've all got some stuff that we've done that we're not happy with. God knows it. Nobody else needs to. I want everybody in the room to close your eyes, bow your heads. Nobody looking around. As we bring this service to a close today, I'm asking you to take some spiritual maturity, to take some personal responsibility, which I want to tell you something. It's very easy. Responsibility in the kingdom of God is my response to God's ability. That's powerful. My responsibility in the kingdom of God is my response to God's ability. And the ability of God was given to us in Jesus Christ because the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon us the iniquity, or laid upon him, I'm sorry. The Lord laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. Every one of us like sheep have turned aside to do our own thing. And God laid the iniquity of all of us on the great sacrifice Jesus, the sheep that was slain for us. The shepherd became a sheep. And he died for you and he died for me. This morning, if you've never made that step of faith and said, Jesus, touch me, change me, save me. Three words are critical. Jesus, save me. It means that you turn from all of that history and everything you've done and where you've been And you look to God in a fresh start and you say, God, I thank you that you're going to give me a new beginning. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He who is united to the Messiah gets a fresh start. Do you need a fresh start today? God wants to let you hit the reset button and wipe the whole slate clean. And you can do that because of the blood of Jesus Christ that's been shed for you. If you do that it will save you and will put you in a place of eternal blessing in the presence of God. If you do not. Very simply it's just two choices. He that has the son has life. He that has not the son shall not see life and the wrath of God abides on him already. Some of you in this room, the book of Romans says it's it's a commentary on your life. You're storing up wrath for the day of wrath. Because you're just living a a life of rebellion out of the very nature that's who you are. Only God can change that. I desperately cry out to you and I ask you, I beseech you, I beg you today. Turn your hearts to Christ. Break the denial. God will break the addiction. My addiction, your addiction to sin. All the other stuff he'll deal with. Got to get that one right first. Get your heart. Get the very center of your person right with him. This morning, if you've never crossed that line of faith and you would like for us to pray for you, nobody's looking around. All heads are bowed. Or all eyes are closed. I would just like you right now. I'm not going to call anybody to the front, but I'm just going to ask you for a show of hands. If you just want to say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me as you close this service in prayer today. There's a hand that went up right there. Anybody else in the room? Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, a couple more. Several around the room. Thank you so very much. Gracious God and Father, you've seen all these hands of men and women, boys and girls, young men, young women in this room this morning who have taken a step and said, Father, do something new in me. Give me a fresh start. My life will no longer be determined by my past. Jesus, save me. Say that right now in your heart. Just just make those words in your heart. Say, Jesus, save me. God, thank you that they turn from their past. Their history will not determine their destiny. In Jesus' name, we repent. We turn from everything that's in the past and we look to you in faith. We reach out to you and God, we thank you for a new day, a fresh start, a new creation in God. The old is gone, the new has come. Forgive us of our sin, Jesus. Set us on a right path. Every head still bowed, every eye closed. Believers in the room right now, I just want to ask you, you've heard this today and there's a struggle in your life right now something in the room maybe only one or two other people know about. Some of you got some stuff nobody else knows about and you know God does not want you to live in that kind of bondage. Jesus Christ died not just for you to have a home in heaven, but he died for you to be free while here. He wants you to be free. I'm talking to believers now. Does anybody in the room who'd like a prayer. You want to just say include me right now pastor for this. I need a fresh start. My life has been marked by Jabez. I've been in pain to a struggle, an addiction, a temptation. Anybody, just hands all over the room. Come on, let's just lift them now. Right now, Jesus, you see these. We are, we are honest. We are, we are laying ourselves open, naked before you. God, we put our trust in you right now. Like Jabez, we will not let our past dictate our future. Bless us, oh God. Help us to break denial so that we can break addiction. Lord, in, in alcohol, in drugs, in spending in finance, Lord, in bad decisions and improper relationships, all of these things, Lord, that distract us and take us away from all that you've called us to be. God, we thank you that you set that in order. Lord, we're thankful that we don't have to get everything right to come to you, but we can come to you just like we are, but you love us so much you won't leave us like we are. Heal us, touch us, change us, transform us in Jesus' name. All of God's people said,